on Mars with Matt and Hillary. <laughs> I'm Matt. Oh, I'm Hillary. And this is our Kim Stanley Robinson uh, read-along podcast. We've been reading along in the Mars trilogy part by part for right. over a year now. Yeah. And we're finally at the end Yeah. of Mars trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> and by finally... <laughs> It's happened surprisingly quickly. So when I say finally, you always, you you make it sound like I think that this is a chore. And I think the listeners think that I think it's a, <laughs> it's a chore as well. I don't think that. I, you know, I look forward to doing this and I wish we could have been doing it more regularly. Yes. Listeners. Yes. <laughs> Some of our listeners love our show. All of our listeners, I think. I love, would assume. Love the podcast. Yeah. And they want it to happen more regularly. And we just have to tell them. We can't We're do trying. that. We try yep. as hard as we can. This time was a much longer hiatus than either one of us were anticipating because yeah. of the same reasons that we always give because we were busy and sick and then sick again and then busy again. Yeah. And then um, major life events keep happening to us despite the fact that we wish they wouldn't. Or yeah. they, <laughs> sometimes it's a joyful life event that happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, if this could be our full-time job. We could make at least two episodes a week. At least. Hey, you know, call up your local NPR affiliate or whatever That's and right, see exactly. if they can funnel like a couple grand a week to us. And Yeah. I mean, you know, it's such a whole, it's a really wholesome podcast. It's a wholesome endeavor. It involves reading. Reading and talking and listening mm -hmm. uh, respectfully. And um, <laughs> uh, and sometimes swear words, which is why it has the uh, explicit uh, label right. on Right. on Apple iTunes because of the swears the swears that we yeah. sometimes drop but that's just that's just how people talk it is it's just people get over it you know yeah people talk this way yeah it's not a it's not a taboo that I understand no um so anyway it's been a while since we've uh been uh that, that we've been able to record yeah yeah and we are uh we're back in uh, my office on <laughs> campus uh it looks like it's the end of the quarter on the eve of a uh, graduation or on something. the eve of graduation graduation is friday and saturday oh man so How i have to fun. i have to marshal myself and think of what words i'll say at our students diploma ceremony same, same thing you say every year i think probably. Uh, roughly there are certain things that i say every year there are, and they're, it's very, uh, I think, mm. neat. I, I, I remember listening to them when I was under your employ uh, <laughs> and being like, man, this, this is probably super meaningful for the students and just completely uh, going over the heads of their parents. I always try, I try <laughs> to say some things that I hope will be meaningful to the parents. Um, and also, like any, uh, any speech that you engage in when people respond to any it. Any speech act. Exactly. When people respond to it, uh, what you learn is they just heard whatever they wanted to hear. Yes. Um, and that's fine. This is my horror in teaching yeah. <laughs> in general, <laughs> exactly. but especially some of my classes where exactly. I'm like, oh, yeah, they just they didn't get what I wanted to tell them at all. But that's probably fine, too. Uh, you know, because I do this theory 
lecture class on critical theory in the fall. And then I teach those students or talk with them for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I can't say how often somebody will be sitting in my office and will say, it's just like you said in that lecture in the fall. And they'll say something and I'll think... I really don't think I have ever said anything yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, if yeah. that's if that's what you got out of it, yeah. that's cool. That's yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the things that um, students will pick out that you said, or that's my. They always sometimes they come up in. They only finally emerge in the um, course evaluations, where um, they'll pick on the one single thing you said in the fourth week of class that was. <laughs> clearly a joke but that's the only thing that they remember and they're like uh yeah and either that's yeah it either uh consigns you to the dustbin of history or makes you like the most brilliant person in the world and you don't even remember saying yeah it. yeah uh i got such uh uh awesome final papers from my class oh, this awesome. quarter yeah um they have the option of doing a kind of like speculative project mm. And one woman made a series of zines and pamphlets for her feminist utopia, which oh. is like takes place on some like orbital space uh -huh. station. Cool. Yeah. Very awesome. That Very is awesome. So cool. I mean, there were a lot of cool ones. Hers just was the most 3D cool one. I haven't gotten any final papers yet. I'm getting them tonight and tomorrow. I do have some. I haven't just, I just haven't read them yet. But I had a really good reception study of Thelma and Louise, Ooh. which was like, wrestling it it was kind of uh reception studies are really hard to do for undergraduates who have never done any research and don't know anything about history at all anyway so you cut them a lot of slack for just being able to find the articles and kind of um uh, synthesize them in any way but it was and it and so in you you know you don't expect anything too sophisticated but it was really like getting at un probably like unconsciously some really interesting questions about like feminism and representation mm. and stuff and is this really a feminist text you know in the way that it was and various ways in which it was received uh, critically or rejected you know like you know that kind of thing same thing goes with um another person did a a work on um a league of their own <laughs> the penny marshall baseball <laughs> with movie madonna. with madonna yeah and i was really expecting madonna to be a big to factor prominently in the reviews and the um press and stuff but she really didn't um and uh according to this student's project at least and then um uh and then there it was also similarly kind of read sort of controversially at least by the student and, and especially the reception of it was like this weird blend of comedy and sports movie where you didn't really know where <laughs> it was ladies. supposed to go and ladies right um and then mm. what was another one? Uh, oh, oh, this is science fiction related, actually. Akira, mm -hmm. the Japanese anime uh, feature length film. A student did a report on that. It was really interesting. It could have gotten really, uh, you know, if, if it was a longer project, it, it could really go into really interesting things. But the reception study is uh, what you do is you find uh, reviews and print advertisements and try to deduce how that movie fit in with the ecosystem of its historical moment what were the other films that uh, it was either compared to or that you know audiences had an option to go and see that mm. kind of thing and with akira and also where like harder to do is where it played and when because akira as a small release film it was not it did not get a wide release so there were like 
she found out that there were seven prints that circulated around the country and that it played, I believe it was Topeka. It played in Topeka, Kansas, only because um, the owner of the comic book store like paid for a uh, an exhibition of oh it. Oh my God, wow. So it, Akira <laughs> in 1987 or 88 played in Topeka, Kansas because the owner of the comic book store ordered it from the distributor, rented out a movie theater, and had a show of it. That's fantastic. And she found that out. And I'm like, that is yeah. exactly the point of this it, uh, right, article, right, right. This, this assignment. Right. Like, so cool. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. History's fun. Yeah, history. It's fun. Um, we, yeah, what, what else should we talk about? Should we just get into the book? Or yeah. should we talk about, we watched, we also saw the Avengers movie, which was uh, appropriately dismal. fascist and yeah. dismal. And we saw uh, John Wick 3, which I read a really good uh, review of in Jacobin, um, which was about how he's our working class hero, basically. Uh, that, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, I I am a big fan of the John Wick yes. uh, series for its unapologetic just being <laughs> being what it is and i'm a big fan of keanu reeves operatic violence also unapologetically just what he is yeah he's just he's just keanu he's just keanu um i read ice henge in the interim the uh, yeah. original kim stanley robinson <laughs> novel which was really great if you guys haven't read ice henge um check it out it's this amazing i wasn't didn't know what to expect but it's this amazing detective type thing and like thinking of history and it's really interesting yeah i haven't read it for years but i remember really like it was it. very surprising yeah um because it takes place over several hundred years with three completely separate well not completely separate characters um and i want no spoilers yeah but it's, it's worth <laughs> it's worth reading yeah of, um, of course anyway we have um oh we maybe we should say one thing about so we're gonna do today's episode is on uh phoenix lake which the, is the very last section. The very last section of Blue Mars. Of Blue Mars. It's rather short. It's very beautiful yeah. and sort of elegiac, I guess. It's, that's probably not elegiac. What's the right word for it? Uh, I mean, it has a kind of meditative quality. I mean, I think, yeah. It's a nice, like, sort of le like uh, denouement. It's quiet. Yeah. It's quiet and very peaceful and lovely. Um, and that's going to be the last episode of the of our podcast for the Mars trilogy. The right. podcast will continue. Right. Our plan is hopefully eventually in the not too distant future very soon we'll get Stan uh, an interview with Stan. We have to email him. Right. We're going to ask him. We're going to ask him politely. And then we're going to do <laughs> we're not going to be mean about it or what? rude. No. No. And not. um then we're going to do the Martians. And then we're going to do the Martians. And we're going to divide that up in some fashion. Yeah. Um, because there are some very, very short episode or episodes in The Martians that might be just solo episodes for us. And then there are longer sections of The Martians that we could probably do together. Right. And right. you don't have to read it in order, right? It's fragments. Right. 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 Um, right. And then we don't, we haven't decided where we're going to go from there, whether we're going to do the three Californias. Is that still? That's, maybe? I, I have two of them. So <laughs> we can do the three Californias. Two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three uh, ain't bad. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think in the interests of full disclosure, mm. Matt is moving. I'm and moving. That means his summer's going to be busy. So we're going to keep trying. And eventually we're going to be like doing this long distance. I'm moving out of 
Chicago, he's out, moving of Illinois, out of Illinois, out of out state, of Midwest, out of the Midwest, out of state. He's going to New England. I'm going to New England in undisclosed location. And into an undisclosed location. You can't, you can't know where. He's going to be living in the woods. Basically, in the woods. Uh, um, hopefully, writing his own science fiction trilogy. We'll see. Isn't that what you're going to do? No, I'll probably try to. <laughs> Are you going to get a job? I'll probably try to get a, some kind of job. Lame. It is lame, but that's because we live under capitalism and I know. not utopian socialism I know, like we ought to be. Or the or the utopia, the, the post-money economy that uh, Mars is based on. Yeah, I'm going to pay you in sequins. Yeah. Um, we don't do that. We're beads, rocks, doesn't work. So I'm probably going to have to get a job, but also I'll probably try to um, turn my dissertation into a book. Maybe, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll, tr I'll try to. I don't know if I'm still capable of uh, having a coherent thought and putting it to and putting on paper yeah um, yeah right now completely unrelated to science fiction i'm supposed to be writing a series of encyclopedia entries on raul walsh's westerns uh for an italian encyclopedia which oh, you guys will never read nice and it's excruciatingly difficult <laughs> it's excruciatingly difficult because writing is difficult but also because these movies are just not my favorite uh, movies uh, to think or write about. Yeah, they sounded, uh, when you I've, were telling me about this, I've told to you about them. Anyway, so I am moving uh, very far away, and then we are going to continue to do the podcast remotely. Right. But so, you know, we are apologizing. I'm only raising oh. this to apologize in advance for we're going to like do as much as we can before Matt heads out of town. Uh, and, you know, then presumably due to the magic of the internet and, um, uh, you know, electrical service uh, will be able to keep doing this remotely. But there may be a few times over the summer where there are lulls. <laughs> there may be lulls. It's what you've come to expect. Uh, I from mean, I guess they're always goddamn marooned on Mars <laughs> with Matt and Hillary is that we've been doing this for about, I would say, maybe 60 weeks now. And there are 41 episodes. Oh, that's not bad. Which is, you I think, what? not bad. That's really not considering bad. Considering the fact that we both have uh, jobs yeah. that are not this. Yes. Um, uh, you know, hey, just be, you know, consider yourselves lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody's really lucky to listen to us having this conversation. Anyway, so we're going to keep going with the podcast. We're going to, you know, it's just there may be some times when over the summer when it's slightly more sporadic than we yeah. might wish. Than we, than we might wish. And uh, order your copies of The Martians uh, today. That's right. Or, That's right. you know, go to your local. Go to your local bookstore or bookstore. used bookstore. Used bookstore. Don't order them from Amazon. Don't buy it from Amazon. Um, and uh, even Get though it's like a $5 book. Yeah. Still, don't give your five dollars to Amazon. No, I mean, if you can avoid it, don't. If you can avoid it. Um. So, with no further ado, oh, is no. there more ado? Uh, I know there's always some more ado. Okay. No, I. Yeah. Should Let's we talk about this last chapter? Jump into this beautiful. I'm like reluctant to start talking about it because it is the end of these. Now you did promise you're going to cry on the podcast. I, I did cry. I cried when I was rereading this this morning. I cried at the very end. Oh my god. I love, the, I don't know what it is about this simple ending, but it's so, I'm going to cry right now just looking I at know, the words. I, I know, It's, it's a, so beautiful. I don't even know why. It's just, ugh. I love the prologue. The prologue is fantastic. It's brilliant. You know what it makes me, uh, as I was reading it, I was thinking like, this is such a sort of stylistically, this feels like, um, 
this kind of brings home for me the way in a number of the prologue sections they do feel like an earlier version of some of the stuff that he does in New York 2140, uh -huh. right? You know, the kind of either the citizen oh, yeah, interstitial the citizen, yeah. sections, mm -hmm. um, but just some of the like, I mean, I think what's brilliant about the prologue is it does a thing that many of the prologue sections do, which is to shift between the singular and the plural voice, right? Between mm -hmm. like, you know, the multi-Martian consciousness mm -hmm. and like the singular consciousness uh to get to hear somebody who you badly at this point want to hear from who's coyote mm -hmm. right but also probably coyote yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but also just this kind of like polyphony of like sound and talking and drinking and like conversations that are maybe all one conversation or maybe multiple conversations that just like shift from one to another. Yeah, this really weird, interesting modernist kind of move, like almost Joycean mm. in a way or something like that, where it's this like stream of stream of collective consciousness almost or something. But yeah, that or, or a great one of those great sort of like a Robert Altman scene in a movie where <laughs> you just start hearing different snippets of conversation that seem to, you know, uh, relate or bleed into each other. But it's the whatever number Martian Revolution it is, or um, Martian War, third or fourth or something. The third, the third, Mar the third Martian, Martian Revolution. Revolution. I love this. The, um, I mean, a gunshot, a bell rung, a choir singing counterpoint. The third Martian Revolution was so complex and nonviolent, it was hard to see it as a revolution at all at the time. More like a shift in an ongoing argument, a change in the tide, a punctuation of equilib uh, equilibrium. Um, so we both have something that is like actually extremely eventful, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the um, Earth military dropping down the cable, yeah. Um, uh, suddenly arriving, arriving armed on Mars, right? This kind of like uh, this imperial force arriving. All of these new like groups of settlers being dropped down into various locations, right? And and um in the previous what wasn't it in the previous ch chapter in experimental procedures that they get word of like Saxon and get word of this I think that's right um that there's some uh, that the UN has taken over the cable while they're at dinner at on one of these floating things or whatever um and uh but but that's a kind of like you know action that takes place sort of somewhere else when they're doing that um and that we stay stay focused on Saxon Ann, and here we get the that the the real outcome and how it um, kind of unfolds, um, which is it's also interesting too because at one point in that stream of consciousness part, somebody says, you know, it takes longer to get down here from Clark than it does to get from Mars from Earth to Mars, so it's this very strange temporality mm -hmm. where it's like, well, what's even the point? of how, how would you even do a war like that uh, like you did in the past if that's how much warning you have when you're coming down the cable yeah, you have yeah, days yeah, and days yeah. of warning. Yeah. Um, but um, the Martians did not know how to respond. They were a demilitarized society with no idea that something like this could ever happen with no way to defend themselves or so they thought. And then I love this part too. Uh, once again, it was Maya who pulled them into action playing the risk, the wrist like Frank used to, calling everyone in, op in the Open Mars Coalition and many others besides, orchestrating the general response. Come on, she said to M Nadia, one more time. And so through the cities and villages, the word spread, and people went down into the streets or got on trains to Mangala. I love 
let's get the band together one more time. Yeah. One yeah. more revolution. Come and also on. still just, you know what? Uh, Maya still like fighting the fight. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, uh, I love that. And the next paragraph after that is one of my, in this first part of the, of the prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, on the coast of Tempe, the new Cambodian settlers got out of their landers and went to the little shelters that had been dropped with them just as the first hundred had two centuries before. And out of the hills came people wearing furs and carrying bows and arrows. They had redstone eye teeth and their hair was tied in top knots. Here, they said to the settlers who had bunched before one of their shelters, let us help you. Put those guns down. We'll show you where you are. You don't need that kind of shelter. It's an old design. That hill you see to the west is the propel... uh, Perapelkin crater. There's already apple and cherry orchards on the apron. You can take what you need. Look, here are the plans for a disc house. That's the best design for this coast. Then you'll need a marina and some fishing boats. If you let us use your harbor, we'll show you where the truffles grow. <laughs> yes, a disc house. See, a Saddlemeyer disc house. It's lovely to live out in the open air. You'll see. I mean, just the sort of like the replay of the question of like, uh, first encounter right first contact, first contact you know like and now it has in a kind of strange way it has become possible in a way that when the first hundred landed you know uh to colonize mars as a kind of you know metaphor mm-hmm. right and and now it has become possible actually to think that the settler force is a settler colonial force um but of course they're met by people who you know have in some ways formed their kind of ideas about how to live based on a rejection mm-hmm. of those kinds of power relations yeah. anyway right so they arrive to to welcome them to give them the plans right, right? Uh, to tell them where the truffles grow yeah um and <clears throat> the um there's these plans made by the martian government like oh we can retaliate we can shoot uh <clears throat> asteroids <laughs> down to earth down to earth create a kt event Um, UN diplomats on the scene pointed out that this was a sword that could cut both ways, right? Um, And yeah, I love this like escalation, this escalation of, uh, you know, the the logic, the logical ends of basic mutually assured destruction. (laughs) We move from nuclear weapons to like (laughs) harnessing asteroids themselves. But then um, uh, in these tense days, there came a knock on the door of the assembly hall in Mangala. <laughs> It's like this <laughs> humble moment of yeah, like, exactly. knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Um, and in walked Maya Totoyevna. She said, we want to speak. And then she just brings in this like old crowd of like the first hundred and, and the, the oldest uh, Issei on the planet who've all been, who are these like global, uh, globally recognized people um, who, and they say, stop doing this <laughs> please don't we've we've been the, through this before and it's literally the kind of like you know we, this is you know a common theme throughout the books obviously is history literally walks in the door and can tell you this is a bad idea yeah <laughs> like we've yes. already been there we've done this we've fought this many times um please don't um and it works right they began that renegotiation they asked a UN representative to come up and explain the incursions they argued and debated and expostulated and shouted in each other's faces out in the outback locals confronted settlers and some of them on both sides threatened violence and others stepped in and started talking cajoling scolding wrangling negotiating and shouting in each other's faces at any point in the process in a thousand different places things could have turned violent many people were furious 
but cooler heads prevailed. It remained in most places at the level of argument. I mean, it's such a, like, um, this is an interesting kind of take on, because so much of the last few sections has been about life prolongation and, like, what is it? what does it do to have to a person mm. to a person's relationship to themselves to have this incredibly long life but here i think it's right that there is this weird way in which well it's actually it's now possible for a bunch of people who have lived you know who have had a first person experience of revolutions one and two and mm -hmm. not just the revolutions but landing in the mm -hmm. first place to mm -hmm. come in and say like we can talk about this. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to go to war here. We don't have to turn to violence yeah. here. Well, but then also like almost um, like in a kind of uh, Hegelian sense of history type of sense, there has been this dialectical movement away from violence toward conversation and discussion so that um, finally mm. this one moment in history, things don't dissolve into violence right um, right well and also I, because like thousand i mean the population of mars is you know the townships are, right. are docking <clears throat> the you know people are out in the streets once again i mean you know there's a kind of like mass sense of um uh, yeah there's a mass there's a sense mass, of what has to happen yeah there's a like uh yeah yeah mm. uh, uh i would i want to say like a class of itself or yeah, something yeah. right that that they all in a mass consciousness way recognize that um <clears throat> and even though there are factions right uh there are people who argue with each other others step in and start talking cajoling scolding wrangling negotiating right that there's a, there's enough people around who will diffuse uh violence you know potential for violence in a way that is like skillful and artful and that um, keeps people on the level of civility. Um, I, just, I think that's really cool. I agree. And I, 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 you know, we've talked about this before, but I think this is like, it really is one of the great things about these books is that, um, you know, that they, they recognize that like, it's going to be, you know, people have to argue with each other and, and also be uncivil. Right. And, you know, um, and uh, that that includes like being genuinely angry and yeah. feeling like, you know, dislike or hatred toward other people and being dissatisfied and all of those all of these other kinds of things that they, you know, they never sort of like shy away from how it's hard. It's hard to do this. There's not, you know, democracy is not like it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not gentlemanly, you know. <laughs> um, and it's not like, you know, some hilarious, like rollicking, right. like, you know, everyone's high fiving. Yeah, everybody. It, right, exactly. And in, instead, like, you know, e even to do even to negotiation is fraught and is full of people's passions. And that has to be like part of it. That's not something that you can kind of wish away, mm -hmm. you know, um, Many feared this could not continue. Many did not believe it, it possible, but it was happening. And the people in the streets saw it happening. They kept it happening. At some point, after all, the mutation of values has to express itself. And why not here? Why not now? There were very few weapons on the planet, right? So it, it, even if there were, uh, the weapons, you know, it's hard to strike someone in the face or stick them with a pitchfork when they're standing there arguing with you. Um, this was the moment of mutation, history in the making. And they could see it right before them in the streets and on the human hillsides and on the screens. History, labile, right there in their hands. And so they seized the moment and wrenched it in a new direction. They talked themselves into it, a new government, a new treaty with Earth, 
a polycephalous peace. The negotiations would go on for years, like a choir in counterpoint, singing a great fugue. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great image of yeah. like, you know, at sometimes like the level at which it would be possible to perceive the harmony is not just like in the immediate or when you're like in, you know, when you're in the middle of things, right? You can only hear the harmony at some kind of distance. Mm, yeah, yeah. It only makes sense later when it, as it resolves itself, uh, or it only resolves itself much later in, in a way. Right, and from, but from some perspective, you can see things right. happening together, happening together. Um, and then this amazing <clears throat> uh, uh, stream of mass consciousness, mm -hmm. um, basically, um, where which the only um, the the thing, the thing that stands out to me about this, I mean, many things stand out to me about this is really interesting and cool. But that it all is happening in a restaurant, and yes. people are still calling for the waiter, yeah. right? So they're, <laughs> at, 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 even this kind of like um, celebratory, both celebratory and contentious argument that's mm. happening in the, is still happening in a restaurant where there's still like mm. <laughs> people doing labor to bring people drinks, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That yep. that like not all labor stops because somebody's got to serve the drinks, basically. Um, and then the, it concludes with um, who we who you know a person who claims to be coyote who we can't actually know if they're coyote but it seems like they probably are but at the same time mm -hmm. you know it, it's left ambiguous for for us the reader but properly so because he's such a mythical figure <laughs> anyway um and even the people that he's talking to don't quite um believe him right oh like oh you oh yeah sure you're the coyote yeah right um yeah yeah, I love the just like the kind of like sliding between the little red people. Mm -hmm. uh, the I mean, in the in the middle of this section, we go from the sort of um, uh, we go from the discussion of politics, right? We learn that Peter Peter ends up being elected. Um, that oh, right. that discussion slides itself mm -hmm. into. Um, uh, reminiscences and then it turns into stories of like uh risk at sea and then we get uh surfing we get giant waves oh, yeah, um, right Ford is still alive. <laughs> uh, um yeah we get little glimpses of like what's happened to people we know right like heard she went on one of those starships that's mm -hmm. what i heard you know which is presumably jackie but who knows i mean maybe it's somebody else oh i thought they were talking about um her mom what is it what's the name of it uh hiroko oh hiroko or maybe hiroko maybe hiroko because right? right after that they uh that that's when coyote breaks in and uh is basically like she could get you to do everything anything you know um i tell you that bitch pulled the wool over your eyes your whole life if you let her have you have you living in a closet for years on end <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's a really great opening opening section. Just like uh, so much is happening all at once, and, and yet nothing's of, yeah. happening. People are just sitting around yeah. and drinking. The and... red people, the big big man, mm. um, the ants, the ants. It's great. Yeah, and it's a oh, and then the th and then it concludes. <laughs> well, it almost concludes with the this uh, debate about uh, metrics. And uh, the metric system. Right, the meter. Feet, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not short. Why are you laughing? I'm five feet, five inches tall. Feet? Feet? 
holy cow, here's a man measures his height in feet, in feet. Oh my God, you, you must be kidding. Five feet, feet? Hey, you look like it would take more feet than that. Just how long were these feet? <laughs> a foot was about a third of a meter, a little less. This is how they measured? A little less than a third of a meter? No wonder Earth is so messed up. Hey, what makes you think your precious meter is so great? It's just, it's just some fraction of the distance from Earth's North Pole to its equator. Napoleon chose the fraction on a whim. It's a bar of metal in Paris, France, and its length was, met, was de- determined by the whim of a madman. <laughs> it's so good. And also like, like such a funny uh, kind of riff off all of the stuff in these books about like perspective, yeah. right? You know, Scale. Scale, yeah. perspective, distance. Yeah. Uh, um, what do you call it? Objectivity. Objectivity. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then the chapter itself is just in in mood and mm-hmm. in uh, sentence structure, so, and in setting a total contrast to the you yeah. know the kind of like anarchicness of the opening section. Particularly, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and also like to the rest of the book where it's full of incident and conflict True. and things like that yeah. and and also in, in contrast to most of Anne's chapters which take place often in like very harsh environments right, right. Um, where she's very where we experience her interiority very much I was actually thinking on the way down here it would be interesting because the first couple of paragraphs it's a little bit you're not quite clear who the um, uh, voice is mm-hmm. and it would be an interesting project to sort of look and see throughout the parts how long it takes the reader to figure out who is actually whose oh, perspective it is yeah and um what the giveaways are and like how free how like how often does it happen in the very first sentence that like the narrator is actually mentioned um and which ones correspond to like a very a clear a clarity of of you know consciousness or whatever or or, or perspective um and which ones kind of tend to correspond to something a little bit more difficult to suss out or something yeah yeah I agree that that's interesting and that the um in sometimes it doesn't you know the character matters much less Mm -hmm. you know and this is this one is actually a kind of I mean I think it's interesting to think about why end with Anne Mm -hmm. um I mean it I think it seems very uh you know, kind of instinctively right mm-hmm. that it would be Anne mm-hmm. at the end. Um, but I think it's interesting that, to consider that and to consider, I mean, I think why, you know, why end with an Anne who has gotten together with Sachs? I think we can see like, well, there's a kind of gesture toward a sort of resolution, you know, there's a kind of resolution right. there or the resolution of a debate or something like that. Um, and ending with an Anne who has, you know, had her... Um, memory restored mm. right or whatever has happened with the memory experimentation um but it is interesting to turn to Anne, to turn to Anne in a non-Anne setting in some yeah. ways you know among uh generations a non-Anne setting in a non-Anne have, set of things that she is doing like child care right having to buy ice cream for a toddler right and I want to this would be something that I would <clears throat> be curious to ask Stan is when did he know that he would end it with Anne? Um, because I feel like to the the beginning of Red of of Red Mars, you know, this, mm. there's a se- this central debate between Sax and Anne, but in no way do you consider them maybe the central characters because there's Frank and there's Maya and there's these you know and and John Boone there's br- these very charismatic 
characters who are um, you know leading politically. Right. But then you have Anne and Sachs at the beginning of Red Mars who are just these weird sort of scientists who. Uh, so I w- I would be curious to know at at what point in the writing did it become clear that it had to end with Anne? Yeah, I mean, I think we know from the from the prologue section that, you know, Maya is intent still on doing and on making politics happen, and that she's, of course, you know, making Nadia do that mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Anne has always, you know, Anne is the person of contemplation, you know, of sadness. Which, yeah. Right. I mean, and, and of Mar and of a different version of Mars, right. Of the yeah. lost, the lost version of Mars, you know, like Maya's always been there for like the history and the change and the making it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's what the politics is for her. Right. And for Anne politics, you know, was only something to be entered at moment, of, uh, like at a moment of terrible extremity mm-hmm. when she felt that she had no other, ethical choice than to you know make a kind of political statement because otherwise her you know her imaginary her imaginary has always been kind of to try to wipe out their you know to imagine mars without them yeah but also and also a lot of that comes from her Mm. but like the politics itself that have to be resolved that maya is the person who ends up having to resolve a lot of it comes from Anne's idea that spreads out into society yeah. that she wasn't really in control of. It just happened that her speech was like broadcast and uh, this myth grows up around her that she wasn't really in the business of cultivating because she was in the business of doing science, right? Right. And so even though she saw herself as a scientist, the revelation that she comes to, which you're describing, is that science itself is political. Right. It has a right. political element to it. And that that or- original argument between her and Sachs, um, uh, it is this kind of um, er moment of break of fracture in the f- political future of Mars that's only now coming to be resolved once she and Aunt, she and Sachs um, actually do finally consummate their romance that started before the books even started on Antarctica in this kind of awkward way, right? Right. Although in some ways I think like, yeah, I mean, yes, I think that seems right. I, but I was also just thinking, I mean, but of course it's not only, it's not like, you know, the ANSAX debate sets up like the motion that drives the rest of the books because there are all of these other like lines through yeah. that, right? There's like, you know, Arcadi's vision of like what, it, you know, how to reform social life, right? And John Boone's idea of like this kind of like cultural pluralism. Uh, what are, I don't remember what it is that Frank, <laughs> Frank thinks. Power. Negotiating power. Um, you know, they're all, you know, and all of those like, those threads are all woven through. I mean, in some, but, but I the, wonder, yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to say the other thing I think is like, uh, you know, she and Sachs have gotten back together, but I'm kind of like for me, I think it feels more have gotten together, yes. not back together. Um, and I think in some ways because we learn, you know, we learn the sort of details of their encounter in Antarctica so late in the game, um, and because it comes specifically after both of them have been like remade, like in a very thoroughgoing way, mm-hmm. right? Um, that in some ways to me it does not 
it does not feel like, or I'd prefer it not to be a consummation of something long unconsummated. Right. But instead, like, you know, something new that comes out of them actually not really being totally continuous with those two people who really enjoyed, like, their kind of... Mm-hmm. being scientists together but then like couldn't understand like that they were interested in each other you yeah know? yeah <clears throat> i think i understand what you're saying and i think i agree with it i mean like <laughs> uh yeah the newness of the of the thing because they are new people to each other and to themselves um and that it is um sort of it, it's almost too cliche to say like oh yes they've both. They finally got together, like they're, moonlighting. They're, they're political. <laughs> yes. Will they, won't they? Will they, won't they? Um, they're political and they're personal, mm. you know, the, the, in the classic novel, novelistic style, uh, culminates at the same, one and the same time, right? Right, right. Uh, right. But the A story and the B story um, pleasantly intersect. Right, and that, that is the, right, themselves the, at the, the end per, of the movie. The personal resolution, the marriage solves the political problem. Exactly. Because that, the political problem doesn't matter right. anymore. But what I was going to say too is that like, it, yes, so sex, the sex and debate isn't the only thing that's motivating the kind of political, because we have John and Frank and Arcady, but the other, what I would also bring back is that John, Arcady, and Frank die, right? Yeah. Like they, they very, very uh, famously die. Um, and um, which I wonder how much that could be read as a kind of, you know that 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 their their three kind of visions are more temporary in a sense or contingent rather or conjunctural in a way that like the science the scientific kind of deeply philosophically mm-hmm. motivated science that Anne and Frank that Anne and Sachs are doing isn't p- p- configured in the novels as as conjunctural as as power or as Arkady's vision of like classic Russian Bogdanovist socialism would be right um that those might be are those are those visions configured as 20th century like conjuncturally or Mm -hmm. contextually 20th century visions whereas Saxon Anne are working through um science in a way that's more deeply existential if you want or human or something or like like objective right i mean i guess i don't think that i mean and i don't think that because um you know in part because like what we've seen with sax is that like he has over the course of the three books had to come to Ooh. grapple with the ways in which um uh, his kind of claims that he was just like doing what was what was possible, right? You know, like um, in the first moves to start terraforming Mars, um, we're not actually that's not actually just like motivated by pure scientific interest, right? Um, and you know, he has to have these encounters not just with history, but with being the kind of person who can be affected by other people, but not being like you know, mm-hmm. the lab rats in the lab coat. Um, uh, uh, and for Anne, I think, you know, part of what is kind of, I mean, I, I do think it seems at least now, like, um, I mean, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, because I didn't read these books in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, um, but at least now, I think, closing with Anne does make it feel like, 
the sort of the line of thinking and the set of reflections on terraforming and thus on environment and what an environment is and what a planet is and what the relations are between mm. human creatures and environment. Mm. You know, I, I I mean, that seems like, uh, and maybe that's like a, you know, that's obviously not only a, of the urgencies of our moment sense, but also a sense drawn from like, you know, uh, what Robinson's work looks like overall, mm-hmm. <laughs> overall, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to like, just from reading these books. But I do, I do think that ending with Anne, I think there are two things that I think are really interesting or maybe three. Uh, one, <laughs> one of which is I think that it does leave us with, um, you know, leave us thinking about terraforming, right? Um, I mean, you know, leave us thinking about Mars, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that in some ways her, like, extraordinary perception of Mars, which both still feels like it's there, but also she's changed so much, you know. She doesn't seem to, you know, she's not the, like, woman of the rocks mm-hmm. anymore, um, but then the other thing is, like, it is kind of extraordinary to be left with the person who, like, you know, I think we see her here in the midst of life, like, literally, right? Children and the ocean and, you know, loving sex. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but her her own perspective, her own, um, you know, scientific but also felt sense of, like, how humans should live on a planet yeah. has been completely und- I mean that Mars is not there right you know? yeah and that I mean that is and she's part at of- peace with that you know? and she's yeah. at peace with it but that's also what makes it poignant right? right you know it's like so the third revolution people hardly can recognize that it's a revolution until the stories mm-hmm. get told afterwards and then people can be like oh yeah that was a huge change mm-hmm. that happened there mm-hmm. because it happens in negotiation or whatever mm-hmm. um but then we end with Anne, who, who in some ways, like, the thing that she held on to or that drove her is gone. And we can see that both as a liberation, because she seems to be liberated from that version of her, whatever her past trauma was. She imagines that woman in a quantum closet somewhere else, uh-huh. right? Um, but also her Mars isn't there yeah. anymore. You know, so, and so in some ways that seems like that's about acceptance. But it's also interesting to, like, have that be about... I mean, and she has a, like, near-death experience yeah, right before right. that, too, right? So in some so in some ways that, you know, it feels like we're left... There is something that is, like... Um, I mean, if we're on the kind of, like, is this, cha- is this last chapter hopeful? In some ways it feels, like, deeply hopeful. <laughs> yeah. But the poignancy is also a sense of, like, this is the kind of hope that comes out of loss Af- right? after you've given up yeah right yeah. oh god yeah yeah right <laughs> like right. after you've, you know. after you've realized that the cause is lost and you you can't yeah. you know like and the future is the only thing that you have right 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 um there's an anecdote that my one of my advisors would always tell which is um that he was talking to somebody who a scholar a historian from behind the iron curtain um and they were arguing about history and the the thing that the guy behind the iron curtain said is um, the future is all we have because history is always changing. And so, you know, once you like give up on the, on, on like getting history, right. The only thing you have to hope for is like the future or whatever. Right. Um, right, right, right. another thing I thought of when you were, uh, talking is, um, saxifrage Russell. Yeah. Do you know what saxifrage means? I have some growing in my garden. Do you want well, to plant? Do you know what it means? The no, I don't know. Stonebreaker. Oh, right, Stonebreaker. Yeah, yeah, because it's a little alpine plant. Claiborne yeah. Stonebreaker. Yeah, 
Got it? Yeah. See? Yeah, it's cool. Clever. It's cool. Clever. <laughs> uh, so then they're on the beach, and she has this near-death experience, and it's very scary because you're sitting there like, don't kill Anne. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want this. this. <laughs> I don't want so horrible. With her Please dying no. on a bench with a bag full of ice cream. That's no good. But, but also, it's a total parallel to to Maya there with the roses. Totally. I mean, the episode Maya has yeah. sitting on a bench. Yeah. Yeah, and the color and, yeah, and the overwhelming color. Yeah. and this cold thing. But they're also, uh, the other thing I would say is they're on the beach with all these kids and it's so pretty and beautiful and these little kids with their fat baby rolls and it's so adorable and their names are like Tati and, Nan- wait, not, Nan- and Boone. Boone. And Nanao and Francesca, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what their names are. I don't, I don't, I'm not good with names. That's fine. Um, and it's very cute. Um, and they also, there's this funny, uh, a kid learning an expression. A cat got your tongue? <laughs> no. And then yeah. Anne says, no. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yep. And kids have it playing on a beach, which is really fun. And six ice creams. And then she has the attack. And it's very scary. And she forces herself to keep living. Yeah. Right? She says, no. It's not going to. I'm not going out like this. And um, then the kids, Tati, forces her to recognize to acknowledge the fact that the world is pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some pelicans glided in a line over the rising face of a wave, and Tati dragged Anne to a halt, pointing at them. In it pretty? Anne tried to walk on, but Tati refused to budge, tugged insistently at her hand. In it pretty? In it pretty? In it pretty? Yes. Tati let go of her hand and trundled over the sand, just managing to stay on her feet, her diaper waddling like a duck's behind the backs of her fat knees dimpling. She's also been eating sand, yes. which she's not supposed to do. But Anne's like, oh, how could it hurt? Whatever. Um, should I just read the rest of it? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. But still it moves, Anne thought. She followed the child, smiling at her little joke. Galileo could have refused to recant, gone to the stake for the sake of the truth. But that would have been silly. Better to say what one had to and go on from there. A brush reminded one what reminded one what was important. Oh yes, very pretty. She admitted it and was allowed to live. Beat on, heart, and why not admit it? Nowhere on this world were people killing each other. Nowhere nowhere were they desperate for shelter or food. No nowhere were they scared for their kids. There was that to be said. The sand squeaked underfoot as she towed it. She looked more closely. Dark grains of basalt mixed with min- minute seashell fragments and a variety of colorful pebbles. Some of them no doubt brecciated uh, fragments of the Hellas impact itself. She lifted her eyes to the hills west of the sea, black under the sun. The bones of things stuck out everywhere. Waves broke in swift lines on the beach, and she walked over the sand toward her friends in the wind, <laughs> on Mars, on Mars, on Mars, on Mars, on Mars. It is a really beautiful ending. 
I don't know why the repetition just makes me cry. I, uh, I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's um, you know, it's utopian. Yeah, you know it, and and it's about trying to think about like, or maybe part of what it's about is like trying to think about like, what is it like to be able to be present in a moment, um, but also with other people. You know, like yeah. Anne has that like ability to be extremely present. Uh, in a certain kind of way but here she is like in a scene of like movement and livingness and randomness and having to like say something to a chubby toddler yeah right you know um and then that's what mars is now like it's a scene of it's a scene of like living together yeah yeah i isn't there this moment where um the kids are saying something so plainly and then there's uh, a meditation on like it takes so long for, uh, you know, kids are super wise. They already know everything there is to know. And you, it takes years to beat it out of their minds that they don't know <laughs> things correctly. Or am I thinking about something I read? Yes. No, no, no. Uh, on uh, 757, um, uh, Maya was helping Nana and Boone and Francesca dig a hole. When we reach water sand, we'll start the drip castle, Boone declared. Maya nodded, absorbed in the digging. Look, Francesca shrieked at them. I'm running circles around you. <laughs> Boone glanced up. No, he said, you're running ovals around us. <laughs> he returned, discoursing with Maya about the life cycle oh. of sand crabs. Anne had met him before. A year ago, he had scarcely been talking. Just simple phrases like Tati and Nanao's fishy, mine. And now he was a pedant. The way language came to children was incredible. They were all geniuses at that age. It took adults years and years to twist them down into the bonsai creatures they eventually became. Who would dare to do that? Who would dare to form this natural child? No one, and yet it got done. No one did it, and everyone did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the the sort of... Um, I mean, something that's nice about this chapter is, like, uh, the children are clearly written by a person who likes ch- yeah, children. Yeah, right. <laughs> Has experience of them. Uh, but, but also, um, you know, to have that... I mean, like, that... Um, that they they're playing with language and with you know metaphor with figures of speech with idioms mm-hmm. um not yet in their natural element mm-hmm. in language mm-hmm. um which mm-hmm. is so much the kind of like uh, what it just reminds you of the sort of play throughout these books between like the symbolic and the material mm-hmm. you know um uh yeah i don't know i was thinking about the on uh toward the beginning of the chapter can I find where this line is um uh I'm on 753 uh it's a line about the intimacy of the horizon on Mars during the memory experiment she had focused on Mars, Michelle had once said it, your task is to find the Mars that endures through all. And seeming the same hillocks and hollows around Underhill had reminded her intensely of the early years when over each horizon had been a new thing, the land in her mind it endured. On Earth, they would never know what it was like, never. The lightness, the tight intimacy of the horizon, 
everything almost within touch and then the sudden immense vistas when one of big man's neighborhoods hove into view the vast cliffs the canyons so deep the continent volcanoes the wild chaos the giant calligraphy of areological time the world wrapping dunes they would never know it could not be imagined i mean uh again like it's a really beautiful paragraph and it's you know beautiful partly to think about just like um how close you know how close you feel at this point to mars mm -hmm. and to your imagination of mars um but i was just thinking about that like that idea of mars as this place where the horizon is close um and then that can be disrupted for you in these moments mm -hmm. right and i was so thinking back to you know what you were saying about the future right mm. that idea of the closeness of the horizon that like it's something that you could reach or even that you could feel intimate with mm -hmm. right i mean it's like quite present for you and that has something to do with why you think the world can be different mm. and people can live differently because the horizon is close it's not you know something mm -hmm. unreachable mm. it feels reachable mm -hmm. um even even if then you you know as you as you you know walk the surface of mars or whatever you encounter these natural features that interrupt that relation you nonetheless have that feeling yeah. of its closeness to you it's interesting kind of another kind of interesting thing thinking about scale is that on Mars, you can actually see the curvature of the planet, whereas yeah. on Earth, you can't. So that it's the same, you know, you can see the horizon and you could actually get there. You have a greater vision of mm. of the whole. Um, so that gives you a somewhat more objective um, understanding of reality, maybe, or an underst objective understanding of the situation. Um, and, uh, but then also, it, but, you know, kind of... Um, yeah, and then, uh, but alongside that, you know, the world wrapping dunes, they could never, they would never know it. It could not be imagined, mm -hmm. right? Um, that there's like an, like the symbolic is inadequate to the imagination, yeah. to the imagination, right? Like you can, I can describe it all I want. I can even show you pictures of it, but those are still symbolic uh that's still a symbolic level right. that's um, right. is inadequate to yeah. both experience and to actually like, you know, that there's this fundamental rift between imagination and um, materiality that is uh, just a fundamental problem um, for human living together and for just, in, you know, encountering the world and living in the world and but also for politics right right um, well because we spend all of this time like uh uh um you know like living more or less in the register of the representational or something like that right, right? that is discounting the material or discounting the ordinary also um mm. you know uh, discounting like all of the features of like shared life discounting like being planetary creatures not even being able to experience ourselves as that because we so yeah. little think of ourselves exactly. as that right yeah. and we only you know maybe we're talking about that now oh i mean we're talking about that now only because we have an awareness that you know that that we you know that that's actually quite a fragile that that's yeah. precarious right yeah. that that you know um, yeah. is so probably slash not probably but will end yeah. right i mean and i think that kind of um yeah so the, i mean there's some kind of like complicated reflection there on like what does the work of the imagination 
do what does it give you access to like it gives you i mean here like i mean so in some ways this is like um it's a moment when you're flashed back the reader is flashed Mm -hmm. back to earth right Mm -hmm, you don't mm -hmm. get to just stay in the mars of your Mm -hmm. (laughs) imagine in the mars Mm -hmm. of your imagination Mm -hmm. you know um yeah yeah. and it and i think that makes the ending all the sort of all the more poignant like the repetition of on mars um you know if we uh, if we did the the game of replacing mars with earth you know on earth on earth on earth on earth it would really drive home kind of greater ecological message um that you're kind of alluding to a little bit that yeah. the, this just you know precious fragility uh that that is become that is you know um we're all becoming all too aware of every day i mean not too aware of not right. nowhere <laughs> near aware enough right yeah um but that which is so things like the sunrise movement and extinction rebellion are so hopeful of because they are really calling attention to the fact that like we're on earth guys like yeah yeah you know back to earth yeah um so what else that's it oh man i you know just (laughs) honestly like uh one of the things that i recall from the sorry sorry microphone i just hit it uh one of the things i remember from the first time i read these books was like feeling so sad at the end because i did not want to leave the world of these books which i mean you know like a great you know a great novel a great long novel particularly a great series Mm -hmm. gives you that feeling i mean i think particularly with like serial Uh for me anyway with serial fiction because you know uh it's extended and you always have the thought of like well there's another one to come there's one more to come you know and the idea of the last one is so terrible but also here just like the kind of intensity of um being among these people and on this planet having that end like you just know there's not there's not some new version yeah that yeah you know yeah um and i went after i read these is when i started reading um ian banks's culture novels Mm. which is another extraordinary i mean is an extraordinary series and is also extremely absorbing um uh and i was like oh thank god thank god i found this so quickly (laughs) Even though it's very, it's very different. It's very temperamentally different, yeah. um, you know. But also about utopia and like, um, you know. I think that in some ways, like those two reading experiences, like just drove me to feel like basically science fiction is the thing that Ooh. I want to, <laughs> I want to think about, you know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh... Mm. Anyway, I don't have another uh, trilogy to uh, that I could follow that up with. I, the only thing that I'm thinking of now are the uh, which you're gonna um, roll. I'm your, ready to laugh. The <laughs> Robert Caro LBJ uh, oh, yeah, autobiography yeah. or biographies yeah. rather, which you can't get behind biographies. No, but, I don't like biographies. But they're so beautifully written. <laughs> I mean, they're so engaging because. It's not just about LBJ. It's just like a history of the 20th century yeah. of, of America. And it's like incredible. Like there's a chapter that you would really actually love about women's labor in the hill country of Texas before electrification, before they had to, they before they had running water, before they had washing machines, just describing just the grueling nature of being a woman in oh, the hill country, awesome. having to do laundry 
in like 100 degree hmm. heat under like a tin roof in like feeding a fire to boil water using lye to like i mean just like amazing description um which is he, he uses that to like describe what lbj meant to these people because he brought electricity to them that just made me think i mean this is but this is i think that what is relevant about yes. <laughs> about this is these are also thoughts about like the way that you know, historical time expands and contracts. Yeah. A student from, not from one of my uh, college students, but from this adult ed program that I teach in, wrote a really amazing final paper that was about riding the bus. And mm. it was like why she likes riding the bus. And it was kind of about like, you know, um, places where you encounter strangers. Yeah. Um, uh, and in part of it, so uh, the student is a black woman from the south side of Chicago. And a part of it, and I th would say she is approximately my age. I mean, mm -hmm. about 50-ish. Mm -hmm. Um, and she sort of introduced her own feelings about riding the bus by talking about how her mother was a domestic worker mm -hmm. when the student was growing up. Um, and there used to be a, like, bus service that ran from somewhere on the south side, Englewood, maybe, uh, out to, like, Oak Park River fo Forest or maybe further north. And, but anyway, to, like, a white suburb mm. where wealthy people lived yeah. that was just... Uh, black women mm -hmm. who cleaned houses so there was like a so they would all get on like that bus in the morning um anyway she wrote it, it, it's a really great paper but like you know she's writing i mean this is a really like you know it's kind of like a fascinating historical thing she's recording and i was just thinking about how uh yeah i mean of, of course i recognize how this would have happened in the span of my life but then it also feels like oh my god so long ago like if yeah. i just told that story it'd sound like oh that must be something from the 50s but right. it's something that you know yeah my student remembers from her childhood in the 70s yeah, right yeah. you know like yeah. um yeah i mean and then of course like you know if we thought about like there's all kinds of labor going on globally that we would like see or experience and be shocked and think of that as like you know from another time yeah. altogether or whatever yeah um <clears throat> anyway yeah i don't know what that happened. i mean it we it all really it all fits together it all fits it's about together. history it's about history um speaking of history this podcast is history <laughs> Uh, the you've really gotten good at the podcast form. Yeah, right. Oh wait, can I just say, have sure. you read that uh, essay that was in N plus one about podcast podcasts? No, no. I, about how they're bad. Probably. Uh, it's a really good. It's a really good essay. Yeah. I do recommend reading it, and mm -hmm. it is kind of um, indicting about like what what is the work of the podcast. And I did read the whole thing thinking, but I feel like what Matt and I are doing is kind of different. <laughs> <from that. laughs> but there are some lines in it that are about like. This is the way that we do. This is this is the thing that we do in order to feel like we still have like rich intellectual lives when we connect with other people. Yeah. But it can kind of be like a job for us. And political. Oh, <laughs> lis listening to them is kind of like a job. Or 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 but doing them too, right? You know, it's yeah. like oh, this is well, the, we have to monetize this, it. This is the way I talk to my friends. We have to. we put microphones on see a that's table. the weirdest thing is that like <laughs> when you and I are just hanging out, we don't talk the way that we talk on the podcast <laughs> for sure. Which no. is really weird, but as soon as you we start recording it, um, the wh whole tone of our conversation changes because every little thing that we say has to be meaningful because we're recording. Right, because you're trying not to sound like an idiot. Yeah, and you're also like saying, "Oh, you're trying to fill time or whatever." Right. Uh, or right. like not fill time, but yeah, fill time because you can't have a lull because someone's listening to this, and if there is a lull, I have to go in and cut it out. Right. Right. 
I don't know. Right. Whereas when we just talk to each other, I mean, part of talking to your friends is that like you can just like say whatever stupid shit you want to say yeah. and they're not going to judge you right. for it. Whereas I mean, not the, like racist shit. I just mean like, just like, un- why would you think just that? Like why would you go straight to racism? <laughs> Just like, you know, you're just not always clever. I mean, but yeah. we're also not very clever on this podcast. I, if anybody feeling. thinks that I'm clever, I really pity that. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm very clever. Um, <laughs> uh, These yeah, books are so great. Po- and I'm really, I'm really happy <laughs> that we reread them together. Getting back to the podcast form. Yes. I appreciate that. I appreciate reading them together with you. I appreciate you uh, coming on this journey with me. Yes. Uh, when I proposed it to you, uh, low these many months ago. Yes. Said, yes. Sent you an email, said, hey, I just got done reading these. I think we could do a podcast about them. Uh, let's do that. And then you said, yes, we should do that. Let's do it. And we've done it. We've done it. We did it. Yeah. Um, and cool. we're going to continue to do it. And it's going right. to be uh, continuously <clears throat> cool. And um, continuously cool, very awesome, <laughs> and not always as rambling as this episode has been. We should just stop because now we're literally rambling. Yeah, and it's yes. over an hour now. So anyway. get the get the uh, go by the Martians. Go by the Martians. Uh, take it out of the library. You don't have to buy it. You could get a library. Um, the uh, probably so this episode will be out within a week of us recording having it. this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, but after this episode, don't be surprised if there's another lull of a few weeks um because what we would like to do is hopefully interview stan first and then do the martians although if his schedule isn't permitting then maybe we'll just jump right into the martians after right. a couple of weeks but then i am moving at the end of july so then there's definitely going to be a kind of a hiatus um toward the end of july and the early part of august as as my partner and i get settled in our new uh home in the woods in uh, the woods. Not really in the woods. Deep, deep in the woods. It's the second largest city in the town that it, in the state that it's uh, located in. Mm, impressive. Why am I being so vague? I Because you don't want the legions of fans to stalk you To mob down. me. Yeah, exactly. But obviously. the second largest city in the state is probably smaller in population than my neighborhood in Chicago. Well, you know. Which is shocking. <clears throat> it's going to be a big adjustment for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which means there'll probably be more attention played to the podcast. Yeah, you know, the po- less it, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. It's going to be a win for the podcast listeners, no matter yeah. what, because uh, unless you know. I just play video games uh, all the time, and, and then like, when we talk, you'll just be like, oh. uh, I don't know, I've been <laughs> playing the video game, uh, but we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll be back soon soon and uh, thank you for listening just be patient as always thank you for listening and being patient oh you can being email patient us, us at marooned on mars podcast at gmail.com correct you could follow us on twitter, twitter podcast on mars you can rate and review us on itunes or your other uh, podcast listening platforms your favorite podcast listening platform you can leave us a voicemail on the anchor.fm app and those are the things that you can do you can do all those things and um, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Yes, and for all the encouraging words uh, that we get through email and through Facebook. Yes, There's a KSR Facebook group. If uh, you're not uh, aware of it, you probably are. But thank you for the <laughs> encouraging words. We really yeah, do super, appreciate it's incredibly it. Incredibly nice. Very flattered that yes, you uh, that anyone listen. would bother to listen to us. It's really flattering and um, lovely. Yeah, and um, thanks, and um, and you're welcome too. 
Yes. Because I imagine they're thanking us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and thank sure. you, Hillary. Oh, and thank you, Matt. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. All right, okay, we should really stop okay. now. Okay, All right, bye. bye.